Thank you, Penny. I think if Jesus were alive today, he would frequent a local pub. It would be a place, as the theme song of Cheers reminds us, where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. When he walked in, everyone would shout, Jesus, instead of Norm. Now, I apologize for the earworm, but there's something about a place where you are known and welcomed where someone remembers your booth and your order that is appealing to many of us. And more appealing than that, I think, is how the chorus continues. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. This is the central theme of the stories Jesus tells in today's reading, that there is a place from which you are rescued and to which you are carried in safety in which others celebrate your presence. Let us look to the text. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. This lection starts with some folks who want Jesus to be less radically inclusive. They do not like that he dines with sinners and tax collectors. Sinners and tax collectors is Luke in shorthand for the fact that all manner of people make up this community. Helen Montgomery de Beauvoir puts it this way. The crowds are pressing in around Jesus to hear his teachings. They gather around Jesus for a variety of reasons. The disciples to receive instruction, the Pharisees and Sadducees to keep tabs on his radical teachings, and the people who do not really belong anywhere because they have lived so much of life on the fringes. This was a group of strange bedfellows hardly a dinner list that anyone of any salt would put together. And not only does he dine with them, 
but the Greek gives us the sense that Jesus seeks them out. This behavior is much to the chagrin of those who believe themselves to be purer and more proper than others, so they mutter among themselves when Jesus is teaching. Now, I don't know about you as parents, but one of my biggest pet peeves as a parent is when my children mutter. I tell them often, if you have something to say, say it confidently and to me. Often they rethink their statements when the spotlight shines on them, especially when they recognize that that about which they are muttering is likely to land them a consequence should they say it aloud. Jesus, however, does not call out the grumblers so explicitly. In true Jesus fashion, he lets them overhear two parables about the nature of the God they serve. They go like this. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness to go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine religious persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These parables are familiar to us, perhaps too familiar We conflate the Great Commission with the Good Shepherd and somehow leave hearing these parables exactly as we were were when they found us. If all we hear is that Jesus seeks the lost, we have missed the essence of these stories. But of course, the purpose of a parable is to subvert the expected, to make us question what we think we know. It is meant to teach us a parable about God's radical nature. Above all, A parable is meant to call us back to the truth of God's love and the fathomless nature of God's grace. And what does the parable teach us about these things? Much, I contend. Jesus begins by asking, oh, I lost my place. Jesus begins to address the questions by talking about the nature of God in ways people understand. For a people impoverished by the insatiable greed of empire, economic terms are easily understood. In the first section, we have the image of a shepherd who has a flock of a hundred heads. The story starts, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness to go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The shepherd, who is God, goes after the lost sheep. Interestingly, as I said to the children, when a sheep gets separated from its flock, it does not bleat out in distress to be found by the shepherd. Rather, it lies down in the brush, silent and hiding from predators. It is so afraid of being ravaged that it cannot help in its own rescue. The shepherd must find the sheep and drag it out of the thicket and carry it home. At home, waiting are the 99. They had one another. They had community to keep them company while the shepherd went to find the one. And when they are united, there is no distinction between them any longer. They are now simply 100 of the shepherd's flock. Once we come home, we are again made whole. The nature of God is that 
that of the tirelessly searching shepherd because the one who is lost is so lost that she cannot find her way home. Similarly, in the second parable, we read of God's lost coin and her diligent search for it. If we think a sheep is incapable of finding its way to the shepherd, think of how helpless this inanimate object is toward calling out to be found. The woman's diligence is the only thing standing between the coin and its total lostness. Therefore, she goes the extra mile, going into dark places and sweeping clean even that which she has cleaned hundreds of times before. Why? Because she is looking for something precious, for something that's worth searching for time and time again. We are grateful that this is the truth of God's nature as revealed in a shepherd and as a diligent woman. But what we miss, what we almost always miss, is that it is the already found who are called to repentance in these parables. We are not called to save. That is God work. It is spirit work. We like the idea of being powerful enough to save, but we don't much like the intimacy of welcome. But welcome is that to which we are called. The shepherd says, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. The diligent woman says almost the exact same thing. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Do we look around and ask ourselves who belongs here but is missing? Who needs to know that home is already waiting, that love's door is already open? Jesus understands that those on the fringes are integral to the community as it should be. Until they are here, the community is incomplete. These parables are about restoration and forgiveness, but it is not the lost who need to be forgiven. The text ends with a final twist. Just so, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's no indication in the text that the lost have sinned. They are simply lost. The call to repentance is for those already in the flock, where we have not welcomed extravagantly, where we have barred people from meaningful community, where we have placed obstacles between people and God. This is the place where Jesus calls us to repentance. I want to remind us that a Jewish understanding of repentance is to turn around, literally to return to what you know. To repent is to come home to ourselves. When one of our community goes missing, we are all affected. And when one is restored, we are all once again made whole. That's just how things are in God's household. And Jesus tells us that is cause for celebration. When we find God's mercy celebratory instead of offensive, we rejoice with the angels. When we recognize our relationships are based on God's mercy instead of our merit, we are freed, yet we must still choose to enter. We must choose it over muttering and grumbling about who truly belongs. If the kingdom of God is about radical celebration, we should want all whom we know to enter into our joy and into our community. So look around, friends. Who's missing? Who doesn't yet know they belong? Who needs to feel the spirits prompting through your invitation? The party just isn't the same without them. Amen.